0: Welcome to the Be Glad Movement. My name's Pollyanna and I'm on a mission to bring you as many stories as possible of good coming out of bad and reasons to be glad. In this episode, I catch up with the super talented and dedicated Alicia Emerson Thomas from Sky One's The Heist and co host of the fast growing Wild Ones podcast. I first interviewed Alicia for the Be Glad Movement back in 2018. So after you've listened to this episode, head over to youtube.com forward slash glad to see that first episode. In this episode though, we catch up on all the incredible things Alicia has been up to since, including launching her own podcast and appearing in series two of The Heist, which is released this week, as well as training to, to become an international disaster responder and operational team leader for Team Rubicon. So, without further ado, let's have a catch up with Alicia. Good morning, how are you? Really good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm absolutely um, thrilled to have you, especially as the second series of The Heist is coming out tonight. Um, but we can talk about that more later. Uh, so, to give everyone a bit of background, Alicia and I. Um, we have interviewed before so if you haven't seen that interview head to YouTube and and watch that um, this is more of a catch-up interview and full disclosure Alicia is actually my best friend <laughs> so I was able to swing this at the last minute <laughs> <laughs> so anyway I'm gonna get out of the way and I'm going to let you tell your story
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Polly, for having me on again. Um, it's really bizarre now I'm presenting a podcast to come back and do these kind of things um, for other people. But obviously I'm, I think I'm your number one fan. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really nice to be able to come back. And when I was having a think this morning while I was getting ready and doing the school run and all those kind of things about our last interview, I am, I'm absolutely blown away by how much has changed for both of us in the last sort of 18 months to two years.
0: I, know. I mean I think
1: we, we kind of feel a little bit um, stuck in the moment sometimes but actually I had to really reflect this morning before I um, came to chat to you and upon reflection actually we've done so much positive stuff in the last 18 months and I'm really excited about where it's going
0: i'm really excited for you to tell us about it all because yeah you're right so much has changed so much has happened you have been on fire you just seem to be like (laughs) darting up and down the country and um achieving such cool things so i can't wait to hear all about it but before you sort of say what happened in the last year give us for those of the, the those of the listeners and viewers that haven't um haven't watched the previous video yet and you must go and watch it if you haven't, um, give us a brief synopsis of what life was like for you growing up and what has led you to this point.
1: So um, I grew up in the Cotswolds, Um, I was from a single parent family, I um, was helped um, during childhood by my grandparents and also had a very close relationship with them, um, didn't enjoy school at all because I was really badly bullied for years and years and years um, I wasn't sure of the direction that my life was going in but I really liked the idea of uniform services so and um, for a short while well actually even even the NHS as well so I mulled over whether I wanted to be a nurse whether I wanted to be a paramedic um, whether I wanted to join the army or whether I wanted to be a police officer I just really liked the idea of that and I think upon reflection I think because there's so much discipline um and kind of regimented regime involved in those careers mm. which I lacked as a child I think that's where that may have come from yeah. my own exposure to the military at that point was my brother who was in the army and I really liked the idea of that and he'd served sort of in Bosnia and in, in Kosovo Northern Ireland um and golf one, and those stories are really exciting to me. Um, And then I had a cousin who was in the police in Cheltenham and I used to hear stories from her as a child and those things just really set me on fire. I felt like um, there was something that I needed to achieve and I, looking back, have led a life of service, um, but that was only ever a positive thing for me. So to cut a really long story short, after I'd done a bit of a travelling and gone to live in Tenerife for a couple of years, um, and then had my first child quite young, um, I put in an application to join the police, um, and Somerset Constabulary. Uh, the application process took ages, and so actually if there's anything to be said in the first instance, it's my staying power, because it was two and a half years between applying and actually getting a start date. Wow. Um, but I um, applied and got through successfully on first application, and I joined the police when I was 27, maybe even 28. But what's in a year?
0: Well, yeah, exactly.
1: So yeah, I served 10 years as a police officer with Avon and Somerset. Um, I was I never reached any ranks other than PC. But as anyone listening to this who knows police officers or um, has been a police officer. You are literally jack of all trades and it's the hardest job um, in policing because you have to literally um, be able to multitask, be able to um, dynamically risk assess literally every second of your job, prioritise and you are just juggling constantly, especially sort of since um, austerity and the huge cuts within the blue light services. So it's a really busy job. But certainly because of my background, uh, the family dynamics in which I grew up in, I I thrived. Um, It wasn't always great, um, which I alluded to in my first interview. I was bullied quite badly by um, a more senior colleague and a group of other colleagues. But I did also form some incredible friendships in that job and took some really valuable life lessons that I've been able to take with me on the journey that I've been on since then
0: yeah yeah um i thought it was interesting that you mentioned about your childhood and the attractiveness of their services as giving you some structure because that seems to be quite a common thread um with other sort of podcasts that i've listened to i'm heavily involved in uh, facebook groups with um military people in it and um, not police but more of them from the military side of things where People have joined the services basically to
1: gain some structure because their childhoods have been so like all over the place um, Yeah, it's definitely a running theme um, and I don't think at the time that you apply or the time that you seek out that career you're aware necessarily, and of course, there's other pulls. You know, it's an exciting job, and maybe childhood was exciting, but not in a good way. Um, but certainly, as an adult, I've reflected and think that that's a huge reason why I went for that career.
0: Yeah, yeah. But like you've said, you um you did experience some bullying in the job, and then life took a turn anyway, didn't it? Do you want
1: to sort of tell us more about? I don't want
0: to tell your story for you. I want to be in your
1: words. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I'd had my highs and lows with my own mental health. I had two mental health breakdowns whilst I was in service um, that resulted in uh, me almost being sectioned once. Um, I was cared for by my husband and my sister at the time. Um, But sadly, those around me didn't have a very good understanding of mental health and weren't necessarily particularly supportive I didn't um, receive a lot of support from the job Um, but I do think actually to put a positive spin on that the more this happens to police officers and military those things are now changing so I'm really pleased that I can witness that but at the time unfortunately I was a victim of that Um, so I became very aware of my own mental health and the mental health of those around me once I'd recovered. Um, My husband, my my second husband who I have two children with, um, he is in the Royal Marines or almost was in the Royal Marines. He got medically discharged last week Um, and he'd served three tours of Afghanistan, two of those very kinetic. The first one, not so much um, and had been on operational tours and training exercises all over the world as well. Um, And as you know, and many of our friends know, the war marines are just an incredibly busy bunch of people. The level at which they operate is just full on nearly all the time. If they're not deployed, they are on exercise and they're busy, busy, busy. So my husband and I just didn't spend an awful lot of time together. But when he was at home, he was drinking heavily. He was prioritizing, in my mind, the wrong things. Um, And this is nothing that he isn't aware of now so I'm not speaking ill of him without him being aware Um, and I could see his demise he'd had a horrific tour um, in 2010 Um, he'd then come back and lost his dad to cancer Um, and it was just a huge build up he was just seeking that adrenaline buzz of being back in an operational theatre of war um, and I could see what was going on, but it's very difficult to tell people, someone who's highly functioning and having a breakdown that there you can see that they're in that position, especially when you're incredibly close to them. Yeah. So it was almost like I had to handhold him through that experience until he was ready to admit that he had a problem. Um, and unfortunately, uh, that problem came to a head in November of 2016 when he experienced a catastrophic mental health breakdown and was subsequently diagnosed with complex PTSD. Um, And that completely and utterly changed our lives. It shattered our lives for a little while, but actually, again, on on reflection, that was three, just over three years ago. And we're now into a positive positive period of um, post-traumatic growth, which is, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in um, things not necessarily happening for a reason, but looking at the path that you're on and thinking, well, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am now. Sure. And be, and being able to find the positives in that. And if he hadn't had his breakdown, it is possible that I'd still be in the police. But Then would that be a good thing, considering that I... That, I was having a really hard time in my role, being a parent, a full-time parent, looking after somebody um, in the military with a mental health condition who he was hardly ever home anyway, so it was essentially like I was single parenting. Maybe it would have resulted in another mental health breakdown for me, so it made me stop, reevaluate my my um, family life, my position entirely. My job as a wife actually turned into the job of a carer. Um, but looking for the reasons to be glad I'm not saying I'm glad that my husband had a mental health breakdown no, he mm. but certainly I'm glad as to where that path has taken us because we certainly wouldn't be where we are now um, and there's every chance that we wouldn't be together at all because of the, the sheer amount of stress that was on our relationship and our family at the time
0: yeah
1: yeah
0: and knowing you personally I've seen you move through that stress or so the the very lower than a slug's belly kind of moments and and now you are riding quite high you know very sadly we lost your nan um, a couple of weeks ago and that was obviously a horrible time but um you have been on fire recently so I'm really keen for you to tell everybody what you've been up to
1: well the month that I ended up quitting the police um, I was in a complete turmoil again, because I'd just had my third child. My husband had just had his mental health breakdown. We lived in military accommodation, which was um, in the process of being condemned. We didn't know where we belonged in the whole sort of universe, really. Mm. Um, I'd just lo- lost my dog, which may seem irrelevant to some people, but it was it was a hard time losing yeah. him, he was yeah, child. Uh, Charlie,
0: Charlie. Bear was awesome.
1: <laughs> He was awesome. Yeah, he was. And he'd helped me through Recover, um, through kind of like getting outside and getting just back to nature and just having walks and making myself get out of the house where I had my previous mental health breakdown. So there was a lot going on. Um, I tried to renegotiate my contract back to work so that I could work part time. I was still willing to do shifts. I was still willing to work night shifts. I was still willing to do everything that was required of me. Um, but unfortunately I had a very difficult inspector who was not willing to shift on, um, flexible, much on flexible working. Um, and I just, I was fighting so many different elements in my life, fighting for them, not against them, yeah. but it was just one fight I didn't have in me. So instead of, um, sort of taking it to an employment tribunal or going to HR, I literally just handed my notice in it and quit. And the month that my notice uh was due to 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 like terminate i was due to terminate my contract i saw an advert on linkedin um for detectives for a television program now i had um done attachments to cid uh and investigations. um you know sort of i'd I'd done i'd had a lot of experience i'd always been interested in cid or firearms quite quite the extreme but whilst I was in the police. Um, And I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, there's probably lots of people applying for this. Uh, These TV company, Make Hunted, and Bear Grylls the Island, and Masterchef, so why would they be interested in little old Alicia, who at the time was living in um, North Devon, not really sort of, I wasn't a prominent figure within the media or anything, but didn't hurt to apply. And I applied and literally the month that um, I was due to no longer be earning, I got the job. So yeah, literally, and it was a whirlwind. Within the next month, I'd gone down to London to go um, sort of have interviews and screen tests. Uh, And then sort of a few months later, off we were to film series one of The Heist, which is a Sky One TV programme, factual entertainment about how police solve a crime but um the crime is from the viewer television viewers point of view you get to watch the people commit the crime and then you get to watch how the police find those people locate them and then not only catch them like hunted but then collate the evidence to prosecute them yeah Um, and then they're out of the game so to speak so it was a pioneering program. They've never done anything like this on Sky, nothing like that. had been on television before. So it's a nerve-wracking time for everyone involved, from production, directors, the, the, the entertainment commissioner from Sky, because there's a lot riding on her, saying, I think this is going to be a good program. Let's go for it. Um, right through to everyone working on it. But um, it was so much fun. We spent a month in North Yorkshire, um, which was a beautiful location to be. We all worked literally sixteen-hour days to make what I consider to be a, an incredible TV program, and yeah. I hate those fake kind of cop—not sh- fake cop shows—but I hate uh, you know, like like cop shows like The Bill and things like that. I didn't used to enjoy them. I wouldn't watch them. You spend time shouting at the telly, mm-hmm. uh, and then also don't watch the police interceptors and stuff like that. So I wouldn't normally have watched a program like that, mm. but. I watched it and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the the people that were involved um, from the robber's side. I know from working with the cops that they are just an incredible bunch of passionate and intelligent people. Um, And it just made a great story. And aesthetically, it was was beautiful. So when they asked us to come back for series two, there was never a doubt in my mind that I would say yes. Uh Um, Yeah, so series two we filmed. Um, over six weeks last summer in Northumberland in a town called Annick where they filmed a lot of Harry Potter. Oh, wow. um, so, um, And again, aesthetically, absolutely stunning. Um, it's not an area of the world that I ever would have chosen to go to, but I'm so glad and so lucky that I got the opportunity to work there. Um, and again, a great bunch of people. It's Shine Television makes some great TV, but they really have just dug out on this series um and as you alluded to the first episode airs tonight and actually it's available now on box set and um i'm about to download the whole lot and binge while i work (laughs) Brilliant,
0: brilliant. I mean, I watched the first series and loved it. Obviously, I watched because you were in it and you're my bestie. <laughs> um, and I, but I did really enjoy it. It was gripping. And it was, like you say, being able to see both sides of the story, you know, the the amount of work um that goes into the police side. But yeah. also it was really funny to watch the the bandits, you know, and what they were up to. Um, so it's, it's great TV and I'm obviously really excited to watch the second series. Too.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think that they try to up their game every year because you have to get the viewer coming back. It has to be compelling. So this year, um, I'm not going to um, put any spoilers out there, but I will say that it's faster, it's harder, it's gripping. It is edge of your seat. Oh, my God, why have they done that? And oh, my God, I can see this coming. Um, and then there's a you know, massive plot twist. Um, the people involved are literally fighting for this money because they upped the ante this year and it is a million pounds between wow. nine people.
0: Crikey. So,
1: yeah, it's called uh, a million, million pound bank job. So that's the tack line for the, for the show. And that is a, a lot of money to steal and a lot of money to want to try and hide and keep. So you can imagine the the ante has been upped and the kind of things that these people are willing to do to try and keep that money so that it can change their lives.
0: Sure. Yeah, there were some interesting background stories as well with the um, the last contestants uh, that I, I remember um so quite heart-wrenching stories actually why people wanted the money uh so i'm really excited about watching this season as well yeah but that's some great stories aside, yeah the heist aside um that's not the only thing you've been up to because <laughs> you do a lot of um well you do a lot of everything really uh, your volunteer work my goodness me you Deserve like to be on the New Year's Honours list for all the stuff you do um, with veterans, but also tell me about Team Rubicon
1: because that's something that you have got involved in since we last spoke. Yes, so it's bizarre. I got into listening to podcasts about two years ago, um, and just by chance or uh, from seeing something on Twitter, I began listening to a podcast by Michael Coates called Declassified, which is a military-related podcast one of the guests that he had on um, was a chap called Rich Sharp, who is the CEO of a charity called Team Rubicon, um, but it's the UK version of Team Rubicon. And I listened to that episode and I literally thought, this is it, I found my calling. Um, I really missed elements of my job as a police officer, where I was responding to emergencies and having to deal um, with high pressure situations, sort of... Um, you know, just, just the hustle and bustle of um, saving lives. That's, I mean, it sounds really contrived, but as I said at the beginning, I've lived a life of service to a degree, mm. which, which is a positive thing for me. And I, I really felt like I needed to get away from the bubble in which um, I was living at home. I, I missed volunteering because I'd done lots of it with police cadets and various charities beforehand. And just listening to that episode, ignited something in me and i thought that is the charity for me so team rubicon are predominantly international disaster responders but they also deal with um domestic disasters so in the uk we tend to get floods rather than fires and sort of bad weather um Mm. like tornadoes and hurricanes and things Um, so they will literally the minute that there is an international call for assistance or a domestic call for assistance they will put together a strike team of individuals that are best suited to the job at the time. They will send a rescue team into that location um, to needs assess the situation, and then they will put together those strike teams, get out there, and literally provide last mile logistics for life saving um, treatments. They will clear routes. Um, we have sort of people that do specialist courses in drone operation um in chainsaw um it's it's just this it's so varied but i went on the course and i think the thing that really hooked me once i got there and did my training course is that i spent three days in chilmark near salisbury with the most incredible people i i met people from all different walks of life 75 percent veterans but the other sort of um The others are a mix of what we call kick-ass civilians and then blue light responders. And there is all sorts of people that volunteer for Team Rubicon from graphic designers to uh, teachers um, and then former police, former fire, former paramedics. And when you bring a group of people together like that who are all there for the same purpose, amazing things can happen. So I just felt the buzz. And although it was like, three days of sleeping in a field and eating like a lot of pasta (laughs) you know and and rations um just about being surrounded by incredible people all working towards um kind of humanitarian uh needs on a global scale just felt incredible and I knew I was in the right place at the right time and I wanted to do more for that charity so I have gone on to do further courses to do international disaster response and then operational leadership as well. So I'm now trained as an operational leader for Team Rubicon, which means I can um, lead a strike team or lead an operation into sort of the front line of humanitarian disaster response, which feels incredible.
0: Very cool, very, very cool. And I remember at the time when you were doing your training or when you just finished doing your training, Um, you'd put a tweet out saying that you'd found your tribe. And it felt so nice to think, yay, you know, because both of us being married to the military and the moving around that we do, and we don't get to see each other as much as we would like to, although we do hammer WhatsApp messages a lot. um, (laughs) Yeah, it was just so nice. And um, for you to be with all those really cool, lovely people, like you say, all of you fighting for the greater good of humanity, um, and there were you made a particularly special friend when you were there as well.
1: Yeah, so um, I had an Instagram message from this random girl who said, "I live in Plymouth. I work for In-Marsat, um I'm training at Team Rubicon this weekend. It's a long journey. We're both in Plymouth. Would you like a lift?" Unfortunately, I didn't get that message until I was already there. So this just bubbly ball of energy, who looked a bit like a goth, came running over to me, you're Alicia, I'm Julian, I sent you a WhatsApp message, didn't you get it, you should, you're a And I was like, whoa, who are you? (laughs) Um, and, And from that moment, I just, literally, she is go, go, go all the time. She's got so much energy, she does so much. And again, talking about finding your tribe and the people who are there for a common goal, we just found so much in common. Um, all of our links to the military. Um, I've only lived in Plymouth for 18 months at the time, but we had so many friends in common. Um, I um, have retrained in security risk management since I left the police. And within those circles, we knew so many people in common because she works in Marsat, who are a global satellite communications company who do a lot with the military. Um, and we both did our team Rubicon training together. And although we didn't, um, we weren't in the same teams, um, we spent a lot of time getting to know each other and just really clicked. And said, well, you know, she doesn't have an awful lot of close friends in Plymouth. I didn't really have any. So she was like, you know, don't be alone, just give me a shout. We then a month later, didn't speak for a month, met again at the International Operations course and started to come up with this idea of, want to do more we want to help put our local community on the map there are some incredible people from Plymouth we want to do more to help veterans we want to do more to to spread her story because she runs a page actually on Facebook with 60,000 people on it yeah she's got and that was literally just um from her moving back from London to Plymouth and reaching out to try and make some friends and this group literally just grew arms and legs overnight and went from her and a few friends to 60,000 members. So cool, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, she now helps lots of um, local businesses and works with Devon Chamber of Commerce to promote local businesses, and she t- attends a lot of events, and she's done lots of charity fundraising. Mm. And it was just, it so much of that spoke to me. Mm. Um, And then we were surrounded by all these awesome people again on that second course. And you kind of sit in the evening once you finally get a bit of downtime and people start telling their stories. And you can't believe the life stories of some of these people and, you know, how they've got to where they've got to and how they've come through mental health struggles, physical health struggles, you know, almost losing careers, losing loved ones. You just think. These people need a platform to tell their stories so that even if they only inspire one person yeah. and that one person then either can seek help or find a new positive path, those stories need to be told. But those people don't want to write a book. They don't um, have the ability to go on a radio show and talk about it. They, it would never make a television program. But because I've been listening to some incredible podcasts, and because you and I had chatted um, over the beginning of that summer about the potential for me starting a podcast, I'd had all of that in my mind. And literally, I think we must have said at the same time, "Here's us do a podcast. And that podcast, that idea came about. We discussed it for about kind of six weeks and thought, should we make it happen? And then we said, which we say in almost every episode because of the kind of guests that we've been talking to, um, if you put it into the universe and you speak it into existence, you then kind of have the ownership of having to make it happen. Yeah. Um, so that's what we did. She literally designed the logos. Um, I, I built a website. We made a Twitter account, a Facebook account, an Instagram account, um and and we put it out into the universe and we spoke it into existence we are launching a new podcast i think in about november we said right first of january is the first episode we had no guests lined up we had nothing scheduled in um luckily since my husband's breakdown he's uh found a passion for photography and videography so him and i had already started our own media company called locked on media so he's um stereotypical bootneck, he's a bit of a, uh, a kit whore, excuse the terminology. So he already had all the cameras, and microphones and filming equipment. Julian reached out to her network and said, right, we need a bit of sponsorship for um, a green screen and a microphone and luckily Plymouth Arm Forces Awards came forward and said, we would love to help you because you're helping the veteran community so much, the military so much. Um, we had a few more sponsors come on board and hey presto, it happened. And now we've literally got guests scheduled up for the next three months. We've got like four or five episodes already in the bag, recorded. And we're blown away because people after a month are already coming to us and saying, please, can we be on your podcast? Which is where we dreamed of being in maybe six months to a year. We've only been going live for a month and people are already coming to us and it feels incredible
0: yeah it's because you're coming from the heart you know you really are doing not only sort of it's stuff that you're passionate about but it it, it's the stuff that you do yourself do you know what i mean you're walking the talk you're not just sort of you know coming out of the blue and saying "Oh, i'll do this you've been there done that you've had your own personal mental health journey You've um, been on your crazy adventures, really, when you think back to when you first just went, oh, I'm going to Tenerife and then came back with a husband and pregnant and just all the stuff that you've been through um, in your life. So I think people, the two of you, you almost look like sisters and the two of you really (laughs) sort of resonate with the audience that you're attracting. So it's not surprising. It's not surprising in my eyes because obviously I've always believed in you um but you know you're you are attracting more of the right people more of your tribe and i think that's sort of a lot to be said a like you said speaking it into existence and b personifying what you're preaching you know
1: yeah and i think like you as well in your first episode which really resonated with me because obviously i know your story but to hear it all condensed into a little snippet of who you are and why you're doing it um is, is something we also did in episode one and I think it's really important that your listeners and your potential listeners understand you've got a lived experience and you're not just some random that thinks, oh I think I'll just talk about this today. I mean our episodes are random, we laugh a lot, there are a lot of random outtakes that we, we don't share, we actually have got a Patreon page that we can try and fund a little bit um, so that we're, all of this isn't coming out of our own pockets. But on our Patreon page, we actually, the, the outtakes are so hilarious. We put them on there for our patrons. <laughs> um, and the feedback from that's been hilarious. I mean, everyone keeps saying that we're the new Ant and Deck. Um, which, which I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, all, all of it feels really good. Um, but it feels good to be able to share our own stories and be able to talk to the guests coming from our own lived experiences so that when we're having these conversations it's not just a really still and boring question answer type interview it's more of a chat about the things that are really emotive for us and for our guests sure yeah
0: yeah uh, having listened to all of them so far no not the last one that you posted but all of them other than that right up to big grantee um I can vouch for that because as your guests are speaking you're able to put your reflections on what it is that they're saying and it
1: just makes for a richer conversation I think yeah yeah, yeah. and like you we were really keen I mean when you started off your Be Glad movement um that project kind of um I know was just a a, a labor of love for you and I remember you saying to me that you were really keen to to keep it diverse and to not just because of our links to the military, just interview people from the military. You wanted to spread that far and wide, and I've learned that lesson, I guess, from you. And we've tried to really diversify. And some of the guests that we've got coming on, um, you just think, God, you know, if you really knew us, yeah, of course, we, 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 you know, we would reach out to anyone and everyone. But we do live this kind of insular life of being really close to the military and the circles in which we kind of socialize in. So it's really nice to be able to reach out and interview people like Toby Gorniak, who um, was a refugee um, from Poland, um, and he's now got an MBE. Um, And interviewing him was just such an incredible experience for me because I don't think I'd ever met a refugee before despite sort of volunteering in the humanitarian sector. So I learned so much from him. He really enjoyed the interview. Um, he's from the travelling community. He's got a Roma Gypsy background, so the the podcast has reached um, sort of like people like that. He's now a hip hop street dancer, so it ticks so many boxes in terms of diversity. And although we're not a tick box exercise, I think it's really important to try and push yourself out of your norm yeah um and that's what we're trying to do um yeah and part of that is thanks to you as well and your beat love movement Mm -hmm.
0: well a lot of my um any of my triumphs have always been backed up by you pushing me along and telling me you believe in me so um we're
1: great (laughs) besties
0: we look after each other (laughs) oh it's a bit of a love fest now isn't it Um, but that's all good, that's all good. And um, you, you briefly mentioned your, um, your other business, the Locked On Media. So, th- going back to what you said at the very beginning about the police being where you have to be jack of all trades and it suited you, ever since I've known you, you've been this tenacious character that once you've got an idea in your head, you get it going and you do it. Um, but you managed to achieve so much all at once. And I've always been in awe of that, really. And uh, literally before we started recording, you were telling me how you, would what was it, a 500-mile trip and slept in the van just so that you could go and interview more people at an event. It's yeah. incredible. So um, full credit to you for everything that you're doing and the lovely Gillian as well. Um, maybe I can do an interview with her. because uh, She's got a very interesting yeah. story. So anybody that's listening um, should go and listen to the Wild Ones podcast episode one. Uh, to find out more about both of you because um, like you say that is a, an interesting episode to yeah
1: back. and we called that episode just skimming the surface because literally we could have t- talked for hours but nobody wants to listen to a podcast that goes on for hours mm-hmm. um, so we didn't plan on that episode we just said let's talk to each other about us and see what comes out of it and some really emotive subjects came out of it and we both almost had a cry and actually I'm not a crier so definitely a good listen.
0: Excellent. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for giving up some of your precious time to uh, to talk to me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I'm going to go and binge watch my own series now. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: that. I love that you can do that. That's excellent. Oh, Thank you, Han. You take care and we'll speak soon. Bye.
1: Love you.
0: Love you too. Bye. <laughs> If you like this episode, then please do like and share it with everyone you think who may benefit from hearing it. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, then head over to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, and I'll look forward to catching up with you there. Just search at Be Glad Movement, and you should be able to find us. And of course, I'm looking for more stories, so if you know anyone willing to share, please do put us in touch, because I truly do believe your story in your voice has the ability to help someone in their time of need. The Be Glad Movement podcast is free to listen to, but if you did want to support me in raising money for the Samaritans, feel free to head over to beglad.co.uk and use the link provided to donate. Your contribution will be so gratefully received and appreciated. And while you're there, why not sign up for my newsletter? Don't worry, you won't be bombarded because I'm not that disciplined at writing newsletters very often. But I will let you know about any events that I'm organising or attending to keep you in the loop. With so much love, you have been listening to Pollyanna, Alicia Emerson-Thomas and the Be Glad Movement. I look forward to catching you in another episode.